Hey, welcome to episode 18 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stiles. And before we get going on the topics this week, I just want to say thank you to voices like Michael Farber and Pierre Maguire in the sport of hockey as they provide a rational, calm, and non-emotional perspective to reporting and the game itself. It's very refreshing to hear that based on just factual basis and not all of the chaos and things that um, goes on in many other cases. With that said, why can't the success with the younger players and talent in Montreal last? I'm not surprised at all by the level of play of these young players, and we've been talking about this since the day the 2021-22 season ended. I've been talking about the current roster players and where they're at, and we've been talking about all of the younger players. The moment that season ended, we started talking about the extreme likeliness that there would be an absolute possibility that as many as three rookie defensemen who had not played in the NHL before other than with the exception of the last 10 games last year by Harris when he first came out of the University of Northeastern, making the roster. That is not surprising at all. To this very moment, you can see the level of play, you can see the different skill sets and the advantages that it's had to the team, where you have Gooley and Harris both playing 20 to 21 minutes a game, paired solidly with partners. You have Arborakjai, who has not only brought a skill level, skating ability, but a physical presence that has not been seen since we discussed in the previous episode since Chris Nyland, Lyle Odlin, or John Cordick. Finally, there are players that are in the all-for-one, one-for-all, stick-up-for-your-teammates, not just leaving them to deal with their own issues or left unprotected, such as that stellar game that will stick in my mind forever in Columbus last year when Jeff Petrie kind of had this nonchalant look. It's like, it's not my job to protect you. Who cares? Protect yourself. And this year's team has finally got a wolf pack mentality, much like the Boston Bruins have had for a long time, would be one of the most comparable teams. Or the San Jose Sharks. It's like, not to my teammate, not on my rink. It's not going to happen. You take a shot, be prepared for a response. And that's finally what you're getting. And it has made a huge difference in Montreal. You can see the team gelling from it. You can see the chemistry that it's creating. You can see the liberties that other teams are going to if they've not already stopped taking against the Canadians and are going to pay the price if they do. And that is part of the game. It in no way talks about a support towards violence or a physical aggression that has a ability to injure other players. It's called protecting your own. And it's part of the game and it's a legitimate part of the game. Do I want to see knockdown, drag out fights where people have concussions or careers are ended or injuries are caused from? Not at all. But that is part of the game as far as protecting your own players. It's just like Larry Robinson did, and this is going back a fair amount and tells you how long it's been since they've had this kind of element on the team. When Larry Robinson protected Matt's Nasland, when Barry Beck tried to attack Nasland as a six foot three, two hundred and ten pound defenseman on the New York Rangers against the five foot seven player of the Montreal Canadiens, and Robinson wouldn't have any of it. And Jack Eye has a lot of that same kind of presence. He's not 
not just a Stu Grimson enforcer type. He's not just one of these roughnecks that just tries to hurt players or anything else. He plays the game, and when it's called on to protect one of his players, he is there. In addition to Gooley, Harris, and Jackye playing so well, the addition from the waiver wire that Ken Hughes picked up with Jonathan Kovacevic has been a phenomenal addition to the team. Again, a position of or a player that has provided to the position of defense stability. He's a six foot four, two hundred and eight pound player. Is he going to light it up? Is he going to be a Norris Trophy winner? Probably not. But is he a consistent player that they have not had nearly enough of on? defense for a long time yes he is and if you look at the players beyond the rookies there's a couple of other six foot three six foot four defensemen in joel edmondson and david savard who win their contracts end could very well easily be replaced by jonathan kovacevic he's of that same mold that edmondson and savard is and that adds just nothing but stability to the position of defense on the players roster for montreal there seems to be a lot of people that are trying now to create a story out of nothing or a sense of chaos of oh my god when Joel Edmondson comes back what are the Canadians going to do who are they going to sit who's going to be sent down to Lavelle why would you have to why not play seven defensemen it's not like you have a lot of players that you couldn't sit that are underperforming right now which we'll get to a little bit later that list is about seven different players so you can sit them I mean is it tough to sit players making that kind of money sure but if they're not playing well or not consistently and other players are or you can put your team in a better position moving the pieces around kind of like a chess game does then do it whether you hurt somebody's feelings in the process unfortunately there's a lot of people that might think that matters it really doesn't it's again you're trying to put the team in the position of winning you're trying to develop younger players and unfortunately these players that i'm talking about have been around for a while and maybe they should have stepped up a little bit sooner before before their jobs were taken by other players because this is what they're now in the position of having to deal with. So with seven defensemen you have literally the very secure or solidified pairings of David Savard and Caden Gooley who have been together since the beginning of the season and look like a perfect match as they complement each other's game. When Joel Edmondson returns you put him with Arbor Jackye. That's going to be a brutal pairing for a lot of people to face on a physical level especially and will be a if Jackye needed one a settling influence just like Savard is to Gooley. Joel Edmondson would be to Arbor Jackye, but doesn't even seem to need that. That's just a bonus. And then you have Harris with his line mate, and you have Chris Weidman, who you can turn into a power play specialist. That's pretty much what Weidman's there for. Weidman knew going into this season when he signed his contract and coming out of last season, he basically had two roles on this team. He is a placeholder, but he is a power play specialist. Right now, he can have more of a positive effect on the Montreal power play than most other defensemen can because of his experience especially in the KHL where he developed a lot of that as one of the leading scorers defensively that can play to Montreal's needs and meet their needs a little bit better that way and role players are just as important and if Weidman being on that team is more valuable just as a power play specialist on defense than some of the players we're going to get to that have been virtually ghosts to this point of the season why not play seven defensemen that way and Weidman is small enough and Harris I bet has the opportunity that even if you needed them to play left wing on one of the lines I'll bet they could pull it off as many players have over time it's like oh my god I never knew that defenseman could actually play offense yes they can there's a lot of 
versatile players out there. Now, the issue of greater importance or more significance will be what happens when Mike Matheson returns, which I have a feeling still he's not going to return until late December and maybe even January 1st last year. I have a feeling his injury is going to need more recovery time. And that's just purely a guess on my part. I have no authoritarian reports or anything about that. It's just with his injury, those injuries seem to take longer than expected and not just for him for a lot of players but when he returns now you have eight defensemen so that's going to be a problem okay so where currently when Edmondson returns you have Savard, Gooley, Edmondson, Jack Guy, Kovacevic and Harris. Weidman is the power play specialist what happens when Matheson returns because now you're going to have to move somebody you can't play eight defensemen so in that case again you will then have Savard Gooley will stay together you will have Edmondson and Arbor Jack guy at that point do you platoon Joel Edmondson with Jonathan Kovacevic trying to maybe protect and guard against what seems to be a chronic situation developing with Joel Edmondson's back because that is the reason he missed all but 24 games last year and his missed the games that he's already missed this year so do you platoon those two guys who are both six foot four both over 200 pounds it would be good line mates with arbor jacki and then you put harris on the right because he can play both right and left defense and slot matheson in on the left and keep your defenseman that way and in that regard you now have both matheson and weidman still in the lineup because you're platooning kovacevic and edmondson that might be the best way for the montreal canadians to take directionally wise this year or when they're dealing with as many players that they have and maybe to see and wait who they can trade at the trade deadline for all the people that kept talking about how montreal needs another veteran defenseman this is why i've said all along that you don't you already have this many good defensemen and the funny part about this is also this continues to explain what i mentioned earlier over the summer that for everybody said oh my god this year's defense is going to be even worse than last year's guess those comments were incorrect from a lot of people this year's defense is not looking like a problem on the team at all matter of fact looks very balanced at the moment even before these players come back goaltending as i said was the biggest concern and so far for the most part the goaltending has played above average although there's been some soft goals i think it's safe to say allen and montembeau have looked better than people expected so there's a lot of things going right for the canadians so far this year undoubtedly though there will be a lot of people who will still say oh see we need to send one or two of the younger d-men down to lavelle because we have too many players see they're just not ready yet no they've made their points they've taken their positions they've earned their spots through rookie camp through training camp they're there because they earned it they should not be punished because of a too many player situation in montreal and if anybody takes the hit it's the players that were already there the players that hadn't performed up to expectations and unfortunately now are in the process of having their jobs taken away from them can there be compassion about that i mean do you feel bad for those players sure you could but again even back to what mark bergerman said previously in his administration was players determine who stays and who leaves the organization 
organization. And that's always been the concept for a lot of successful teams. And as players continue to make their mark on the team, movement and change is just an evolutionary thing. But to the apparent dismay or feelings that these young players should have been in Lavelle, they've proven all that wrong. They've obviously developed faster than a lot of people thought. They've been more consistent than a lot of people gave them credit for. And that's what happens when you have skilled players in combinations with one of the league's best development staffs. You have a coaching staff that clearly understands how to put players in positions for success and their development, which is another area that many people have wanted to question throughout the offseason and even into the regular season is the apparent experience level or abilities of the coaching staff. I think we can safely say that's finally been taken care of and resolved and shouldn't have any more conversations or challenges from. These players have been set up for success and they're going to continue to evolve and they're going to continue to play better and better. It would not be surprising at all to see Arbor Akjai, Jordan Harris, and Caden Gooley all play 82 games this year. And if that takes up a lot of games and opportunities for other players that were already there, it's unfortunate. But you have now arrived at a time when many players and young talent are arriving in Montreal and ready to play. And thank God we have a coaching staff in Montreal that finally doesn't think that you can only play a new or younger player every couple of games and then sit them for five. That is just a career and development destroyer all in one. If you're going to have these players and they've proven that they have the ability to make the team, then play them. Don't just sit them in a press box. Is there an opportunity once in a great while to sit in the press box of the stands and maybe see the game from a different visual perspective and learn something? Sure. But you don't need to punish players like so many coaches in Montreal have in the past where they make a single mistake as a rookie and then sit for like 10 or 11 games and are punished for making that mistake. They're rookies. There's going to be mistakes. At no point have I ever said all of these defensemen are going to play a flawless, mistake-free 82-game season. Yeah, of course there's going to be mistakes. They're rookies. They're learning the game. But as Martin St. Louis has so appropriately and accurately said, you live with those mistakes as long as you learn from them. As long as you're not making the same mistake repeatedly and the issue is being corrected, different mistakes do not bother Martin St. Louis. It's part of the game. And of course, as he's appropriately said and accurately said as well, there is no perfect game in the NHL. The game is a game of mistakes. It's always been that way. It's basically one of the closest comparisons to the game of chess. It's a game of mistakes, moves, moving only when you need to, not just for the reason of. That's always been the key to that game. The game itself, probably best expressed by Ken Dryden in the book The Game, states exactly that kind of uh, perspective on the sport. So the success of these young players has not been surprising at all. What is deeply concerning, though, is the smothering, suffocating, apprehensive, excessively overcautious, the tiny little step-by-step kind of parental attitude approach that many want to take with these players purely based on their age. And that is just not a valid reason to hold somebody back, as it not only delays or postpones their careers for no valid reason, you can literally shorten a player's career that was ready long before but just wasn't given the opportunity because, well, we're not sure, we're apprehensive about it, so I think we're going to err on the side of caution. That doesn't help players. That destroys careers. It must be a shocking reality for a lot of people that says, oh my God, we can't have that many rookies in Montreal. There's no way we can start that many young players in the lineup. Why not? As I've mentioned on every episode, if they're better than what you are 
already had and they're ready and they've proven and taken a legitimate roster spot on their own because of their own effort then don't hold them back put them in there and unfortunately if that means somebody else needs to be traded if that means players need to be platooned or rotated in and out of the lineup because you've got too many well everybody has their chance to put their stamp on their roster spot and if these kids are ready there's no reason to subject them to either limited play or unfulfilled opportunity because of indecisiveness that just doesn't make sense from an organizational perspective or from a player's perspective and how to utilize them to the best advantage of their own abilities as well as to the value they can bring to an organization but it's so refreshing to finally have a coach in martin st louis who clearly understands how to work with young players understands clearly how to slot them in provide them with the ice time that they should have to be effective provide them with the proper line mates and putting them in a position to succeed that has just been one of the greatest needs in montreal honestly since scotty bowman there's been individual times under jean perron in 1986 and jacques martin in 1993 which we'll get to a little bit later but overall other than those individual moments by those two coaches since scotty bowman there has been virtually no consistency in that area as well as virtually no consistency in player development and those two issues alone are a monumental difference in montreal now and will have an enormous positive impact on the team moving forward martin st louis still sees the game through the eyes of a player a career champion a hall of famer and he passes that along to those players but especially the younger players have grabbed a hold of that and it's clearly benefited them as one can see on the ice with player positioning timing chemistry with the line mates that have been selected shot selection by the players foot speed always remaining engaged and not taking shifts off which has been a huge problem in montreal for at least the last 10 years and the list just continues on and on but there seems to be an equal amount of surprise regarding nick suzuki who's on the pace for a point per game season at least cole caulfield is exceeding the production estimates that many people said oh he might get 30 or 35 there is a legitimate shot for caulfield to have a 40 or 50 goal season unless something really comes off the rails which would have to be a extensive injury or for some reason just a complete change in his game which i don't see either one not that i can predict injuries but i think he's playing in a way that will help him prevent by not being caught out of position or blindly doing things without being aware of who and where everybody is on the ice which is a huge cause of injuries in the nhl and for that matter any sport also there seems to be a fair amount of surprise that kirby doc has actually exhibited not only the talent and the skills to be far better than people saw him as when he came to montreal he's already improved his face-off win percentage is better than last year of his 35 percent or 32 percent in chicago and he's looking like he is a legitimate number two center for the montreal canadians if there's one thing that's a little unusual with doc it's the playing with caulfield and suzuki on the left wing i would prefer to see sean monahan there or have sean monahan on the left wing with doc on a center line maybe with josh anderson but the instant chemistry that caulfield suzuki and monahan had i'm surprised that was changed that seemed to be a really good go-to immediate combination that worked really well so that that is maybe one thing we'll see a little bit down the line is a caulfield suzuki monahan a josh anderson 
Kirby Doc and Christian Dvorak line, giving Dvorak and Anderson to Doc, puts him with veterans. Again, a little bit of comfort for the player. And Josh Anderson and Christian Dvorak, of course, played together in junior. So there's some chemistry there. They're good friends. So it's that whole chemistry and fluidity combination that might work very well for those players. But again, the overwhelming question here regarding these players that we're currently talking about in Caulfield, Suzuki, Doc, and players like that is they too were improperly judged, questioned, believed that they would not succeed, not obtain the possible levels that they're capable of, that their skills somehow would diminish over the season. It's just amazing. And I don't know if it's just a perspective that a lot of people have with the glass half full, half empty scenario, or if there's a lot of people that have been so depressed or let down for so many years now that they just won't even expect it anymore and they just automatically think failure or what it is but let's hope that perspective changes because that is just not healthy for people to have about anything on top of that since we're talking about offensive positions right now and coaching staff and management it apparently once again has been a surprise to people that Montreal's management team was dead on with selecting Yarive Slavkowski and the fact that Slavkowski earned a spot on the roster that apparently surprises a lot of people as well however even a greater importance is the sound of crickets that are now emanating from the people who thought Montreal should have drafted Shane Wright oh my god it's a disaster that they didn't they'll regret it for years needless to say it's extremely clear the organizational team chose the right player Shane Wright has also struggled significantly in Seattle and although Slavkowski isn't lighting it up he's clearly playing a more balanced game though his scoring hasn't taken off right off the bat he's playing physical you can see him out there he's not a ghost it's not like where's Slavkowski he's not a ghost like a lot of other players and ironically like Josh Anderson who once in a while you see him on the ice other nights you know he started for the team you know he's in the roster but you've made or seen no part of him because he has not existed really on the ice he's just kind of floating around which is a problem of inconsistency with Anderson's game but Sikoski has been present in every game he's been involved he's been engaged he's been up and down the ice he's been available and open for shots and things like that so he's been centrally involved in the game even though his numbers aren't taken off yet and it's rare honestly in a lot of cases where players immediately have their offensive numbers take off yes there are the Sidney Crosby's the Connor McDavid's the Yammer Yagers and the Leon Dreisaitl's but that is not a big group of players or a big sample size there that's about five or six elite offensive players not to mention the fact had other elite offensive players to play with as well which is why I would love to see at some point a line of just for a couple of games if nothing else for a 10 game span to see how Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki and Yurav Slikoski play because everybody that plays with Caulfield and Suzuki instantly become more offensive instantly start posting and putting up numbers so everybody that's played with them have, have benefited from them so why not at some point a 10 game trial maybe with Slikoski on the left wing. I'm still really excited to see possible line combinations that I think could legitimately happen next year where you have Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Sean Farrell on one line, and you have Philip Mazar, Jan Mysak, and Yarif Slavkowski on the next line. I think those are really legitimate lines, and I think that would be a great scenario for Montreal and a fantastic way to see all their talent 
rising to the top and taking their spots on the roster. It does create something interesting, though, at that point, is then does Kirby Doc become the third-line center? And we haven't even talked about a couple of other players that we'll get to here in a little while that had fantastic training camps this year and were last-minute returns to their junior teams before the regular season even got started. So hopefully it's become clear to many people that perhaps either thought otherwise or that Montreal lacked depth at center, it's becoming more and more apparent why they didn't draft Shane Wright. Again, Shane Wright has not adjusted well to this point to the NHL, but it's a very small sample size and not fair to critique him for an eternity just for the beginning of this season. But it's very apparent that the size, physicality, abilities that Yuri Slavkovsky has will be a much better fit for the organization, especially with the depth at center that they've gained and will continue to gain with some outstanding draft picks. Now, if there is at some point a time where people are wondering, oh, you know, Yuri Slavkovsky has struggled with the pace of the game, or maybe since he played only a few games last year, the overall number of games is a bit too much for him at the NHL level. Certainly understandable in the discussion to have at that time, but honestly, I would say his best place to play, if not in the NHL, is back with TPS Finland. It's not that I have anything against, and I don't think that Laval would be a great opportunity as well, but the juniors, he's definitely above and beyond the level playing for the junior clubs where he's at in his own development, not because of any deficiency of the junior leagues. And in the AHL, I wonder if he would actually get that many more minutes than he's getting in Montreal, because they have a lot of talent in Lavelle as well. Now, one could argue that they could clear playing time for Slavkowski, but if other players have earned that and deserved it, it wouldn't be fair to them either. And by going back to TPS Finland, he will be playing on an international stage, he can showcase his talents on a very visible level, and he will be playing with highly skilled and older players similar to the exact scenario that he would have in the NHL, which I believe would probably be the best development for his career if he wasn't to play in Montreal. But it looks like he's playing in Montreal and belongs there. It's just not going to be an immediate 100-point season or something for him, which maybe is what's concerning people. Now, continuing with the Canadiens' offense, I think there's a more interesting topic to talk about rather than people wanting to take shots at or picking apart rookies or minutely picking apart Yurav Slavkovsky, and that is the very clear and obvious emergence of who's the leading players on the offense, who are the top performing offensive players, and who's kind of being left behind in the dust and clearly fading off. So you have, obviously, the people that are playing well, Suzuki, Caulfield, Doc, Monahan, and you have the players that basically could all have the nickname Ghost. You have Druen, Donatoff, Hoffman, Armia, Picklick, and not to be forgotten here, and several people might take issue with this, is Josh Anderson and Christian Dvorak. Yes, Christian Dvorak had a hat trick in a game. Yes, Josh Anderson had that overtime winning goal. Other than those games, those players have not been very noticeable on the ice. They've been okay. They're not certainly not as bad as Duran, Donatoff, Hoffman, Armia, and Pitlick, but they haven't been much better either. So there's a very clear divide between the players that are leading 
building the team and showing the way, so to speak, are ironically players that these other players should have been showing the way for. That That's really what the job of Anderson and Dvorak should be, is showing players the so-called way, if you will, of a team. So, obviously there's some role reversal here, but the seven players that I've mentioned, I think that's going to continue to play out and be one of the most interesting stories of the season as to who stays and who goes. Which, again, in my opinion, I think one of the greatest points of excitement for this season is going to be from its beginning to the trade deadline, which is primarily most of the season, since I believe that ends on March 21st in 2023, that's the majority of the season. But I think there's going to be a lot of players that are going to be moved out. Unfortunately, with as bad as many of these players that I've mentioned are playing, the trade value is probably not going to be as high as Kent Hughes would like it to be, but something is better than getting nothing. Though I think a couple of those players might just net Montreal some either late first round picks or some second round picks. As you can go off the board a little bit with positions of need like goaltending, which can be found very successfully in late first or second round picks. Additionally, and equally interesting will be after the trade deadline, who remains? Montreal season will, after that, probably have about 12 games left. And then we'll start this whole conversation over again next season and see what all of the naysayers have to say if, in fact, you then have additions of Philip Massar, Mysad, Farrell, and potentially Logan Mylou, which will be very interesting because now you'll have yet another young defenseman that's ready to make the team and probably the ideal candidate and line mate for either Arbor Akjai or Caden Gooley. Because Logan Mylou is a very fleet of foot, highly skilled, transitional fluid skating defenseman who has a cannon as a shot and can physically take care of himself, which pairs him great with either Gooley or Arbor Akjai. So that ought to be really interesting discussions when those pop around because, of course, Montreal will have yet another young defenseman to find a spot for on the roster, which could, again, trigger the trade of even more players. Clearly, there is room for the three rookies of Gooley, Harris, and Jackye. That's obvious. There probably would have been more offensive rookies that have made the team this year other than just Yuri Slavkovsky if you didn't have an overabundance of too many offensive players. And players like that could have easily been Owen Beck and Philip Massar. But I'm really curious to see as this season concludes and we get into next season and the discussions are the next group of players that are going to make their way probably to the Canadians, which will include Philip Massar, Owen Beck, Jan Mysak, Sean Farrell, Logan Mylou. And of course, at that time, just through attrition, you'll have players such as Jonathan Druan, Evgeny Donatov, Paul Byron, all will be gone one way or the other. Either they will have been traded or their contract tracks will end, and I highly doubt any of them will be back, as well as you'll see some other players potentially move because the cap is projected to go up. So it's going to be really interesting to see all of this talent emerge and gel on the roster over this year, next year, and the following year. I think it's going to be a two to three year process that is going to be phenomenally entertaining to watch and will be one of the four greatest things that has happened to the Montreal Canadiens since their last great dynasty team of the seven. And those four things have been the 1986 Stanley Cup champion team coached by John Perron with 10 rookies starting that year, the 1993 Cup Series that had such NHL stars as Dennis Savard, Kirk Muller, Vincent Damfus, and Guy Carboneau, all either won their first or only Stanley Cup in their careers. The drafting, and this one, some people argue with this one, is how can this be one of the four greatest things that happened since the teams of the 70s? Mark Bergevin's drafting that started in 2000. 2018 
16 in the third round by drafting a defenseman out of Northeastern University by the name of Jordan Harris, who nobody had heard about. Obviously, has turned out to be a really good defenseman so far and will not even look back. This is just his career starting. I can't wait to see how well it goes. And then you had three phenomenal drafts, starting in 2019, 2020, and 2021, which you've seen several prospects from now making the roster. And it is the incredible talent that he drafted that you're now seeing come to fruition. The weakness in Bergevin was not drafting. The problem that the Canadians had under him was development. It was just non-existent. And either players did it on their own with no support, or they failed. Which is exactly what happened to Alex Galchenyuk, and exactly what happened to Yaspiri Kakanyak. Because I'm sure there's people pointing at those going, oh see, he wasn't that good of a talent evaluator. Look at what they turned out to be. Their problem wasn't their junior career. Their problem was not their talent. Their problems were not their abilities, or lack thereof. Their problem was development. They were both brought up as 18-year-old kids far too early. And both of those kids, before anybody says, well, Yuri Slavkovsky's 18 years old, they're going to do it again. There's a big difference. Slavkovsky has played on an international stage. Slavkovsky is six foot four, 238 pounds, and can physically handle himself. Physically, it's not a challenge for him with the game. His game and his challenge is learning process, learning timing, and positioning. And he's only going to do that by playing in the NHL or by playing on that international stage for TPS Finland like we talked about earlier. And finally, the fourth of the best events that have happened to Montreal since the 70s last dynasty team is the fact that they now have in place not only one of, if not the best management staffs in the game, but they have built up their product development staff with one of the best in the NHL and have developed a complete and entire staff to meet the player's needs to be able to build their skills around their game and see them flourish. Those are the four biggest things. The last two being Bergevin's drafting and this management team's development process, along with Martin St. Louis and how he sees the game and is instilling that on the players, should set up the team for a tremendous success that it has not seen since its dynasty teams. And that doesn't mean if they don't win three to five Stanley Cups in a row that anything has failed, but you will finally see the Montreal Canadiens return to the level of performance, expectation, and continuous contending Stanley Cup championship level teams that they should have never moved away from. But all organizations go through phases, and this is just going to be a fantastic ride for the Montreal Canadiens moving forward with this team that I hope all remain in place for at least a decade or more. It would just reignite so much passion that exists and has always existed for this organization who has has probably the best fan base, not only in the sport of hockey, but in pro sports overall. I don't know how anybody couldn't be excited with the talent, starting with that 2018 pick of Jordan Harris, the fantastic picks in 2019, 2020, and 2021, and then the outstanding draft that the management team had in 2022 of Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon. They selected some fantastic players that are not only going to be main players, but will be fantastic supportive players moving into the future. The only thing that I would see as a disappointment this year, contrary to a lot of beliefs, is if for some reason Montreal is able to not unload Jonathan Drouin, Evgeny Donatov, Mike Hoffman, Joel Armia, and even Josh Anderson, Christian Dvorak, and Rem Pitlick. If all those players are still there after the trade deadline, that would be something that one could say is unfortunate. I think in the case of Josh Anderson, Dvorak, Montreal can acquire at least least later first 
first-round picks or a lot of second-round picks for those players. But I think Anderson and Dvorak definitely could net Montreal a late first-round pick each for those, which would be a great way to find that next goaltender replacing Carey Price, which I know is a sore spot and a sad story for a lot of people, but it's just the direction the organization needs to go. Because I truly believe that Jake Allen and Sam Montembeau, like several other players on the defense and offense, are placeholders. Montreal will be and has to be looking for that next young generational goaltender that Montreal has seemed to have a limitless amount of. It's just an insane talent glut of goaltenders that that organization has had. So obviously somebody has always known how to, or the right emphasis has been put on to selecting and obtaining goaltenders for that organization. With that said, thank you for tuning into episode 18. I am your host, Steven Stiles. Have a fantastic weekend.